Welcome everyone to season five of the Airways podcast. This is episode three, and this is a quick one. Um, Helping Vijay Vesar, joined by Rohan Anand and Vinay Baskara. How you guys doing tonight? Good. Um, doing better than the uh, Spirit Airlines shareholders, that's for sure. Seeing as their uh, the stock has collapsed over the last week um, after a judge got rid of the uh, long proposed JetBlue Spirit merger. Well, I'm bummed because I have like. 50,000 spirit free spirit miles so I need to like start using them I've been accumulating them for like nine years now and so I mean I hope they don't file for bankruptcy but I, I really need to use them I was gonna say that might be worth a whole $27 after everything gets liquidated in chapter 7 bankruptcy um, for you this is a really interesting scenario for spirit as they're looking to refinance uh, they won't be able to do uh, chapter 11, but they might be doing chapter 7, which is basically selling off some assets. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't realize that the situation had gotten so bad um, for Spirit. Like, I was pretty shocked to realize that, like, you know, Helene Baker of uh, Cowan Industries was downgrading them to eventual chapter 11 and then liquidation. It's like, uh, wait, hold up. I mean, like, this was an airline that used to post double-digit profit margins, you know, less than a decade ago and be kind of the envy of so many global airlines around the world for how it generated profits. Yeah, I mean, for, for sure. I, I think if you look back to the third quarter of 2023, which is the last time we have financial results for Spirit, they had a negative 15% operating margin. Yikes. Right? Um, and we've we've covered the themes as to why ULCCs like Spirit um, have have struggled so much in the post pandemic era. It has to do with sort of the shifting nature of when different markets, um, you know, recovered, and 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 how that translated into capacity, um, particularly in markets where Spirit has a lot of um, competitive overlap, places like Florida were called out places like, you know, Mexico and the Caribbean where Spirit has a lot of capacity were called out. But just, you know, without without sort of getting into all the factors that drove this, if you compare the operating margin that it reported in Q3 of 2019, this is the, the last sort of Q3 pre-pandemic that was unaffected by the pandemic, it was a 14% positive operating margin, right? So they went from plus 13.5% to negative uh, 14.2% across a four-year period. That's 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 pretty brutal, right? Now, the one thing I will sort of ask you, Rohan, is do you give any credence to the theory, some might say conspiracy theory, that Spirit has been purposefully fudging or um, uh, uh, holding down its operating results so that the merger would get approved? Do you think there's any credence to that idea? Or do you think that that's... Um, sort of uh, fake news, uh, misinformation as it were. Well, I think it's fake news because I don't believe that that's A, ethical, and B, if they were to, if that were to actually come to fruition, there would be massive implications uh, from, you know, the U.S. government just in terms of uh, investigations on on fraud or on mm -hmm. financial, uh, basically bad behavior. <laughs> 
Well, I, I think we've covered the notion that this administration is a really, really rough spot, um, you know, rough place to be in from from a mergers and acquisitions perspective, right? Like this is a very anti-merger DOJ, um, though I think it, it was interesting, at least, that the judge who actually blocked the spirit Jeopardy merger was a Reagan appointee. So that's kind of interesting to observe. But, uh, but ultimately, right, it, you know, this is a very, very tough environment to merge into. Um, and I, I would also agree that I don't think that Spirit was, you know, purposely fudging its numbers, right? If you look at, again, that Q3 earnings statement and just sort of look at it, um, you know, eyeball the numbers, right? More or less, all of the operating loss can be attributed to increased um, salaries and wages, right? Like that's, that's the single biggest factor. Salaries and wages, um, which, you know, translates to labor costs, which you should sort of in your head translate to increased pilot costs in particular, um, went up by about $100 million. They lost about $188 million. That right there is a large chunk of your financial issues, right? And if you were to compare that to the period, um, you know, the three months ending uh, September 30th, 2019, Spirit had $980 million of revenue in, you know, Q3 of 2019 and 224 million of labor costs. In Q3 of 2023, they had $1.3 billion of revenue, so about a $400 million increase, and they had um, $404 million worth of labor costs. So I think just fundamentally, right, like the labor, the structural labor environment, labor cost environment has completely shifted post-pandemic in a way that is really toxic to ULCC models like Spirit. Mm. Well, there was an interesting podcast episode I listened to um, by Ben Baldanza and Scott McCartney called Airlines Confidential. And they had John Ostrower on there who I think runs the air current. And one of the comments that he made, which I found pretty insightful, is that with the decrease in business travel for domestic U.S. carriers post-pandemic and the resulting increase in premium leisure travelers, that has come at the expense of the ultra low cost carriers or the discount carriers, because what they're finding is, is that the costs of travel with the ancillaries included basically is not very far off from what the major big four airlines will charge. And so for them, the incentive to buy the incentive to fly a smaller airline like Spirit with the limited product and you know, being able to only fly certain destinations, uh, it, it, it kind of made it more difficult for those travelers to, to want to, to fly spirit. Coming back to the numbers, I mean, JetBlue was basically acquiring spirit because of the aircraft, right? And I guess their networks and the, the gates. Um, can you do a comparison of, you know, their trading, uh, market, uh, versus, uh, their aircraft? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think what you're hinting at is a sort of multi-pronged theory that I was running by you before we started recording Helling, mm -hmm. which is if you look at Spirit's um, uh, share price and, and kind of what that's done to its market cap, right? Since since the merger was called off, um, Spirit has lost about two thirds of its market cap, right? From $15 a share, which is where it was trading on Tuesday the 16th. Once the merger was blocked by the judge, um, you know, the, the, the shares have collapsed, right? They're, they're down to $5.70 a share for Spirit Airlines. Um, 
And that translates to a market cap of about $630 million. And if you look at what JetBlue was buying with Spirit, right? No, no one expected them to, you know, convert their existing planes into Spirit's, um, you know, passenger experience and in Spirit's configuration. Really what they were doing is they were buying pilots, planes, and gates to fund JetBlue's growth under JetBlue's model. Um, yeah. And so I think that, that that creates a really interesting dynamic because if you were to look at Spirit's current fleet of aircraft, right, um, they operate three types of, of which one, um, the Airbus A319 is going to be, um, you know, steadily retired over the next couple of years, at least according to the pre-merger plans, right? So they've got 202 aircraft in their fleet at 17 A319s, 64 A320s, 82 A320neos, 30 A321s and eight A321neos. And then they've got 99 A320neo family aircraft on order split between the A320neo and the A321neo and another 50 purchase options. And, and pretty new, new aircraft, like five, six years? Yeah, yeah. Pretty pretty new aircraft indeed. If you were to take a look at JetBlue's um, fleet of owned aircraft, so the aircraft that isn't leased, um, the A320COs, right, the old generation A320s are a little bit older. They were delivered between 2010 and 2018. Um, but there, uh, but the A320 Neos have mostly been delivered since 2019, right? In fact, um, uh, all of the A320 Neos are no, are you know, are younger than four years old, um, or sorry, younger than five years old, and the majority of them are younger than four years old. Um, it's a really young fleet of aircraft, um, and I actually think that this begs the question: <laughs> Are the component parts of Spirit? worth more than the airline itself. And, and obviously, this is a highly simplified analysis, right? You should never analyze financial transactions and financial machinations in this way. But again, just hold that number in your head. $620 million is the market cap, right? If I went to, to Wall Street and bought every share of Spirit Islands, I could do it for $620 million, okay? So out of that fleet of 202 aircraft, um, Spirit owns about 130 of those planes outright. Uh, the remainder are... Um, Aircraft that are leased from various lease lessors, ranging GCAS to you know a bunch of a bunch of lessors, right? They have a bunch of leases from a bunch of different sources. But those 130 owned aircraft, right? It consists of about 50 A320 COs, um, current generation aircraft. Uh, it consists of about um, 48 A320 Neos, about 30 A321s, and then a single A321 Neo that they currently own. Um, now, again, this is all back at the envelope math. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of in fantasy land here, but I think I think it's a fun exercise. Right. So let's say you, you gave each of the A320COs a value of about 15 million U.S. dollars. And that's accounting for any portion of the, the, the sort of uh, money that they haven't paid back yet. Whatever, like about 15, 15 million dollars. Let's just assign 15 million dollars as, as a valuation for those. Let's assign 35 million dollars for the A320Neos. Now, these are new build Neos. Um, a lot of them are probably worth more than that, but let's say 35 million. Let's again assign about $25 million for the A321s. This is probably the most in-demand aircraft in global fleets. Mm. And then let's assign $50 million to the single lonesome A321neo that they, that they own, right? You add all of that up, and you get to a total value just on the owned aircraft of $3.2 billion, right? And again, these are, these are assumed values. Mm. Frankly, most of these aircraft are worth more than what I just laid out. But... Just the aircraft that Spirit owns are worth six times as much as the business that's built with those aircraft, right? At least according to, to Wall Street right now. 
And that speaks to the fact that the ULCC business model is in a really, really tough place. And that's before you even get into the fact that, frankly, with how difficult it has been to, for airlines to acquire aircraft, right? JetBlue, you know, sent out a doomed merger offer to Spirit for the purpose of acquiring um, aircraft, but also production slots. Um, you know, order books, order book, right? Like a hundred, a hundred A three twenty Neo family aircraft. Well, let's you know charitably give that a, a value of like three million dollars production slot, right? You're spending you know thirty forty million on a new A three twenty Neo family aircraft. You know, would you pay three or four million dollars to to get access to that aircraft earlier? Probably. So let's let's add another you know three hundred four hundred million on top of that. Um, and then when you look at gates, right? For the most part, Spirit doesn't have like a particularly great portfolio of gates, but they do have some interesting assets, right? They've got, you know, let's let's say anywhere from ten to ten to fifteen gates at Fort Lauderdale, um, Orlando, and Las Vegas. You know, they've got three plus gates at Atlanta, LAX, EWR, DFW. These are all places where you know where gates are really valuable, where gates are scarce. Um, FLL in particular. Uh, it's a place where JetBlue has been trying to get a lot of gates for a long time. They're very closely located with, um, you know, uh, with Spirit. So you add all of that up. Let's, you know, let's charitably say it's another 100, 200 million for the gate portfolio, right? Um, you add all that up, you know, three and a half, four billion dollars worth of asset value for the U.S. airline industry for that are that's kind of locked up in Spirit. Um, the least aircraft, those lessers will have no problem placing those with airlines elsewhere in the world. Um, you might even be able to flip them to other ULCCs without having to reconfigure the aircraft at this point, frankly. So you add all that up. And um, I think the way I would judge the question of is Spirit worth more? Are the assets of Spirit worth more than the airline as a business? I think the answer is unequivocally yes. Right. I could be off by a factor of five. Right. My estimates of, of valuations could be one fifth of what I just said. And it would still be worth more than the market cap of Spirit. Yeah, I think that points to is you know to, to what Rohan laid out. Um, you know, Helene Baker wasn't wasn't talking out of her rear end, right? Like there is a real chance that Spirit is worth more to creditors as you know a fire sale of the assets or a sale of the assets yeah. than it is as a business, and that points to a Chapter Seven bankruptcy. Yeah, and that correlates also with the. The the three point eight billion offer, does yeah. it? Yeah, no, that that that's actually that's a really good point, right? Like, you know, you look at all these 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 assets. What would it cost to acquire them on the open market? Yeah, you're looking at you know three and a half four billion USD as as a capital outlay. Now, it's a separate question as to whether Jet it's worth it for JetBlue to spend that four billion dollars. I tend to lean towards the answer being no. And the fact that JetBlue shares have not collapsed the same way that Spirits have suggests that Wall Street agrees with me. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's really interesting to sort of observe that um, spirit is worth the the sum of spirit is worth less than the sum of its parts. If that makes sense, right? Like like the the planes are worth more than spirit itself, which is really fascinating. Rohan, what do you think? Everyone's saying, but from barons to to others, that JetBlue basically just dodged a bullet with the decision. Well, JetBlue is a nest, and we've mm-hmm. talked about that ad nauseum on this podcast. Operationally, yeah. it's not been doing well, and that's one of the biggest things that have upset, upset their customers. Number two, their product is 
very premium on certain routes with its mint uh, configuration and on some of its long haul routes. But fundamentally, it sees itself as a hybrid low cost carrier, right? So its market positioning from a product perspective is kind of all over the spectrum. Yeah, the entity crisis. It flies a lot of unprofitable routes. It has been able to, for example, you know, take American out on the New York to Caribbean, it's, which is great. However, it has also had to go into places like Atlanta and Minneapolis from New York and Boston and Dallas-Fort Worth, where it doesn't have the scale to fly as many frequencies in those markets as an American does or as a Delta does. So it's going to make it much harder for the airline to be able to attract business travelers or, you know, the type of traveler that will spend the kind of um, money that it needs in order to generate the revenues to cover those costs. And on top of that, it's over 20 years old. So from a cost perspective, its labor costs are rising. And then it also has a, you know, propensity to operate out of markets like you know, Boston and New York, where when weather happens and the delays take place, then the airline is basically affected all across its network. Um, I also wonder, too, if like the departure of Robin Hayes, um, you know, after, you know, Dave Barger and then before that, David Nealeman is just an indication, too, that it's had kind of a leadership vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, there are some people that are praising Joanna Garrity, who's the new CEO of the airline, uh, there are other people who don't believe that she's the best person for the job. Uh, I don't know her personally. I don't know a lot of the leadership team at JetBlue, but it's definitely had a lot of departures over the last few years. Whereas if you look at American and Delta and United, the leadership team at the very top has largely stayed the same, especially you know during the pandemic years and into and, and now. Uh, so having a leader at the helm that's kind of helping guide the airline through its, you know, next vision and strategy is really important. Um, and has Joanna really communicated that to everyone? Well, yeah, I mean, she's only been on the job for, well, she's technically not even on the job yet. I think that Robin Hughes is going to depart in February and then Joanna will take over from there. But, you know, there there needs to be some sort of a battle cry, right? Like a, a rallying effort um, with the merger kind of off the table. That's really up to her now to be able to say, how am I going to lead this airline into the latter half of the 2020s and into 2030 as a successful standalone airline. Or perhaps maybe JetBlue is going to go after Frontier. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. We're thrilled to highlight the February 2024 issue of Airways Magazine. In this issue, we uncover the hidden gem of the Netherlands with Simone Schellini's article, Skip Hole's Little Brother. Discover the advantages of Rotterdam's the high airport and why it's worth considering for your next trip. Next, join Anush Tambuwala as he takes us on a luxurious transatlantic journey aboard Austrian Airlines Boeing 767-300 business class. Adrian Nowakowski brings us the latest on Saudi Arabian aviation with his report on the big changes happening in the country. We learn about Saudi's business model and the exciting launch of Riyadh Air, signaling a new era in Saudi aviation. We also dive into the rising star of African aviation with Matteo Lenani's interview with Yvonne Makolo, CEO of Ronda Air. Discover the ambitions 
and future plans of this dynamic airline as it shines brighter on the African continent. Ever wonder what happens at airports during the night? Marty Basaria takes us on a fascinating behind-the-scenes tour of night operations at Boston Logan International Airport. And finally, Maurice Wickstead concludes his captivating two-part series on the history of Swissair. Join us in remembering this iconic airline and its lasting impact on the industry, even two decades after its demise. So don't miss out on these incredible stories in the February 2024 issue of Airways Magazine. Grab your copy today at any Barnes & Nobles. You can also get the latest issues and all back issues and embark on a journey through the fascinating world of commercial aviation at airwaysmag.com shop. So, I mean, I think one of the frustrating things has been that if you look at the communication that's come out from Joanna and from JetBlue's leadership post um, the merger being blocked, it's kind of implied more of the same, more of trying to thread the needle to, to Rohan's description as a hybrid low cost carrier. Um, and I think that that's a mistake, right? I think precisely because JetBlue has this culture and this history of being an upstart, right? Its origin story is they were this upstart, brash, underdog carrier that, you know, took the undervalued, underutilized space at JFK Airport and kind of built itself into a juggernaut. Precisely because JetBlue's original DNA is as a low-cost carrier, I think that they are unable to see reality in front of them. And the reality is, is that JetBlue needs to pivot and become a full-service carrier. They need to lean all the way in. They've gone a, a large part of the way with the adoption of Mint, with the launch of Transatlantic Service, but they need to take those those final steps. They need to use Chapter 11 to restructure um, the cost base, restructure the, the debt load, um, you know, reset for what it will be a very tough climb into a full service carrier um, model. They need to add first class on domestic flights. They need to, uh, I think most importantly, adopt a much more Alaska style frequent flyer program where redemption isn't tied to um, dollars and cents, but rather is is much more generous, has that that chance at outsized, um, uh, you know, um, redemption value, because that's ultimately what will drive credit card um, signups. That's ultimately what will drive frequent flyer program membership. Um, and I think if they do all of these things, right, they can maybe turn the corner in a couple of years. But if they continue to cling to this notion that they're going to be able to be a hybrid carrier, that they're going to be a low-cost carrier with premium attributes, I just don't think that's going to work. I don't think so either. And especially when you have Southwest Airlines, as large as it is, that is really going to adhere to its model of being a 737, single cabin only, mostly domestic, not transoceanic airline that is going to basically provide an alternative to a lot of the major U.S. airlines, even still, that is something that is going to create challenges for the smaller airlines. Uh, well, I mean, I would say Alaska is probably kind of safe, given the fact that its network is more or less kind of quarantined to part of the country. And Alaska, yeah. the, the, you know, ability to partner with so many airlines and being in 
a major alliance. I mean, do you think JetBlue should join a major global alliance? JetBlue should join a major global alliance. Frankly, probably one world, right? American doesn't seem to have any interest in flying internationally. Maybe JetBlue can become American's uh, transatlantic one world partner. Yeah. Um, I, I think JetBlue should absolutely do that. I think JetBlue should absolutely follow in Alaska's footsteps in terms of partnering with global carriers for longer distance flying, right? Um, you know, you know, I don't think JetBlue needs to go to Asia anytime soon. Partner with a bunch of Asian carriers. You're at JFK. You can provide feed to them and vice versa, especially if you've got a first class product. All of a sudden that unlocks a, a lot of opportunities. Um it also unlocks a lot of opportunities, frankly, to partner with uh, the Middle Eastern carriers, with Emirates in particular, um, is, with, is with United now. But there's opportunities with with um, with Qatar, um, who, who's, a, who's a One World member, of course, or Etihad, if you want to kind of stay on the line. Um, if you look at the opportunities, right, like the fundamental equation for JetBlue is this, right? Given its history, given its fleet, given its complexity, given its operational structure, which means that you know, it can't fly at the levels of utilization that are required to make a low-cost carrier model work. JetBlue can't make money if it has Spirit-level fares or even mm. Southwest-level fares. But it can probably make money at three-quarters of the fares that, you know, Delta or American or United get. It can make money at the fares that Alaska gets after some restructuring. So you've got to go and invest in rebuilding your product so that it can command that type of those types of fares. And that comes from network scale, of course, but it also comes from doubling down on the parts of your product that are actually um, going to help with that, um, whether that's a frequent flyer program or premium cap and seating. Okay. So from afar, what I'm seeing, what I'm gathering from your thoughts is that JetBlue needs to get its act together and decide that it's time to play with the big boys, sort of. Yeah. And well, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't see any other way for JetBlue. Either be low cost or just be a mainline, right? That's basically. Yeah, be, become a full service here because yeah. uh, uh, under, fundamentally, right, they, they, their cost structure is too high to be low cost. Okay. Um, I, I, that's, that's, that's a truism, right? But but like they cannot operate as an LCC, certainly not in a world where Spirit and Frontier and Avello um, exist with their cost base. Though, you know, I, I suppose the prediction I made earlier is that Spirit maybe won't exist at the end of this. But yeah, think, think about it this way, right? In, in, in double down on premium, wait for Spirit to go into Chapter 7 and pick up some 320 Neos, 321 Neos. Exactly. Um, restructure the Frequent Flyer program, get a bunch of credit card signups, there, there's a golden opportunity right now, right? Del, you know, JetBlue overlaps a lot with Delta at JFK. They overlap a lot with Delta in, in Boston. Delta just set its own frequent fire program on fire. We've covered that on the podcast before. There's a once in a generation opportunity to win over a bunch of those travelers. You can now get them across the Atlantic. You get a better, you get a better sort of, co- you know, suite of code share partners and you, um, you know, for, for international coverage, you combine those two things, you can get, you know, with co-chair partners, you can get to basically anywhere in the world from JFK airport, mm-hmm. short of Sydney, which soon will be fixed if you join one world. I, I think that like the path is pretty clear. It's just, does JetBlue have the courage to do it? Um, and, you know, to be fair, investors have historically been very skeptical of the full service model, especially if you don't have the legacy history of, you know, United or Delta. And really, Delta is the only one that truly kind of gets a gets trust from investors. Will investors have the stomach to kind of let this happen? 
that's also a little bit unclear, right? Wall Street um, is nothing if not short-sighted, right? So um, that's the other piece of the puzzle that it's it's hard to kind of parse at this moment. But I, I mean, I think this is JetBlue's maybe only chance at success because here's the thing, right? Um, if this was 2010, you might say, oh, don't worry, JetBlue will get merged or bought by somebody. But, you know, under the current DOJ, at least, that's not a viable path to to sort of getting out of it anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you, does anyone here think that the DOJ is going to sign off on JetBlue plus Alaska? Certainly not JetBlue plus, you know, United or or Delta or American or, or Southwest. So, I mean, you know. We don't even know if Hawaii, Alaska, Hawaii is going to be a thing. I don't even know if the current administration would have signed off on JetBlue plus Hawaiian. Um, yeah. Even though there's literally zero overlap, because again, they're just sort of ideologically anti-merger for the sake of being anti-merger, right? Um, you know, I, I, I we talked about this uh, in an earlier episode, so I'm not going to rehash it too much. Um, but you know, everything that we've just covered aside, the fact that they didn't sign off on this merger is hilarious to me because you have three, sort of four, really merged oligopolistic carriers that control 80% of the U.S. market. And it's impossible for a smaller airline to really provide meaningful competition against a networked airline unless they have nationwide scale and unless they have scale, period. Um, you know, is it better for competition when you've got two sort of wounded duck, you know, JetBlue and Spirit independently, um, especially when Spirit, you know, frankly, is probably going to get liquidated for its assets? Um, or are you better off with a combined carrier? Maybe it still goes to Chapter 11, maybe it doesn't, but combined Spirit plus JetBlue, you know, JetBlue with 600 planes or 500 planes, very different animal than JetBlue at, you know, 300 planes or 200 planes. You're able to do more competitive things that are meaningfully threatening to, to you know, the Delta, to United, to American, and to Southwest. The current iteration of JetBlue is sort of SOL because it can't get planes fast enough. It doesn't have gate space. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe they should partner with Border Airlines and then become this like cross Canadian ragweed trans border continental E2 and that nature. Well, here's the here's the thing. I um, I I would take every bad thing I've said about the current DOJ back if they just adopted cabotage. Right. Which is allowing international airlines to come in and compete um, with U.S. carriers, right? Imagine a Singapore Airlines domestic U.S. carrier. That's yeah. like, it's like a dream, right? Huh. And and the traditional sort of argument that has been made, like, oh, you know, you're not, um, you're not able to, like, like the traditional sort of like fake argument that's made against this is, oh, but you know, U.S. carriers sign up for the Civil Reserve aircraft fleet, which means that we can commandeer their aircraft in, in case of war. That's a really simple solution, right? The simple solution to that is. Um, require that cabotage be operated with U.S. registered planes and that these airlines sign over the right for the, 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 the those aircraft to be, you know, grabbed by CRAF. Because the actual reason is that the U.S. airlines don't want the competition, right? Mm-hmm. But imagine if Emirates could fly any international route out of the U.S. Um, imagine if, um, you know, Singapore Airlines could fly. Imagine if Ryanair could come in and set up a low-cost operation with its approach and its business model. Like, the possibilities are endless, and really, that's the only way we're going to get back to meaningful competition within the U.S., right? Because the underlying industry is sort of calcified. Um, so anyway, that's that's my soapbox rant for um, for this this Thursday night. Maybe yeah. I'm getting late. Maybe maybe I'm getting loopy, but yeah. But the cabotage part in terms of like 
how U.S. airlines will feel about it. Um, oh, they'd hate it. But the, but if you want meaningful competition, that's really the only way to do it. This is this is what um, my boy Javier Malay has has adopted down in Argentina, and I think it's going to go great for everyone except for Aerolíneas. Right. Um, dumb question to, to to ask. Why why doesn't Spirit then adopt like a Ryanair? Model. Well, that, that 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 is that is what Spirit did, right? Spirit Spirit is basically Ryanair with some premium front seats, which makes sense in some of their markets. And I, I don't I don't that, think that's yeah, really it, been it, an issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically been Ryanair, right? It's been Ryanair. Bring back yeah. the callous advertising, the word of mouth things like the MILF, many islands, low fares, or the uh, you know political commentary about things. I mean, I think. I think that that's going to help them get back to healthy operating margins. Margins, yeah, be politically incorrect. Maybe that'll get them some. Yeah, so I just, I just want to, I just want to like requote um, for whatever transcription service is being used for this that um, <clears throat> Rohan thinks that MILF will return Spirit Airlines to profitability. I just, I just want to, yeah. want that to be like memorialized for, for all eternity. Yes, exactly. If I were, if I were to get paid the big bucks, being the the consultant that helps them out. I think, <laughs> you know, like last year, one of my friends uh, said that, you know, after the South Airlines meltdown, like over the winter, that was like nine days. She was like, oh, I think Southwest is going to have to bring back the peanuts now <laughs> in order to make up for all this nonsense. I mean, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> Maybe I'm the one that's gone loopy. In fact, I think that I, I mean, yeah, like... <laughs> Pulling out milk at 1108, 1110, sorry, look, 10 p.m. is it's, really it's understandable. It's understandable. It's it, it's a weird January. Um, well, I feel it's been a weird January. Well, I'm very sure. sad about my 42,000 spirit miles. And then I have also a ton of JetBlue miles. And I need to use them before they become paper money. Oh, yeah. De definitely burn those JetBlue miles like, you know. Fly mint or something. Mint's honestly pretty good, right? If you, if you can find, um, I mean, how many JetBlue miles do you have? Do you have, do you have enough to fly over to like Amsterdam or something? Um, I'm gonna check, but like I think that, well, I mean, the the whole reason why I got the JetBlue credit card so many years ago was that I could eventually save up enough to fly mint, but they have such a crappy spirit. Uh, um, redemption. What? Yeah, it's like not good. No, it's it's not very good. Um, if I were to look at what it would cost to go from, uh, just as an example, from Boston to Gatwick using True Blue points, I think I've got like fifty thousand True Blue points, if I'm not mistaken. If I look at what that translates to, oh, good, two hundred and twenty thousand points in mint. Okay, are you reminds? Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, what about this like is the an example? Or like some other place that they fly moot. Um, the redemptions are also that bad. I uh, where what what are there other mint routes? Uh, like from I guess transcontinental routes. Uh, so on the transcons, at least if I, if you were if you're gonna go from Boston to LAX, um, that's gonna run you a hundred and forty two thousand. I have eighty thousand um, five hundred and sixteen points. Amazing. Surely. Surely. Okay, okay, okay. If you fly on Valentine's Day from Boston to LAX on the morning flight, you could get mint for 85,000 points. There you go. There you go. Look at that. All you, all you got to do is buy 5,000 uh, 
mint points and you get to fly at 8 a.m. departure from Boston. Spectacular. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that because I have to leave for India in two days. And plus, I don't want to go to Boston in February and I sure as heck don't have any reason to be in L.A. So, oh, okay, okay. Actually, to to be fair, the return from LAX to Boston is on the red eye is 70,500 points. I don't want affordable. I want I want it I want it to be westbound because that's longer and I don't want it to be a red eye where I get the the cheapo service. I, I want the real deal. Maybe maybe when they announce or when they start flying all those European ones. Well, I, th- I think a lot of the European ones are seasonal, but you can't you can't honestly be selling Boston and JFK to Gatwick with those prices in mint. I mean, come on. Like, there's so much competition and low cost carrier presence from like Norse and others. Yeah. Um, the, the absolute cheapest rate I think I can see is 118,000 points. Um, that's from Amsterdam to Boston. That's eight hours in mint. Um, also, I think uh, for transcript's sake, uh, listeners, please comment, uh, share your, your miles, and Vinay will help you out. <laughs> are you wait wait are, are you are you offering free travel agent services for me free to all of our listeners? Agency. You know what? Honestly, if if they if they leave us a five star review, um, for on Apple Podcasts and send us a screenshot, I will I will gladly work as a free travel agent for anyone that does that. <laughs> um, let's say for the first fifteen people that do that. Um, let's see if how many people actually listen till the end of this podcast. But I will, I will gladly work as a travel agent. I will find you, find a way to use your orphaned JetBlue miles. Maybe not Spirit miles, because no, then JetBlue, 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 JetBlue miles, JetBlue miles. Um, or you know, if you got a million plus Delta Sky miles, I'll, I'll do that for you too. Um, but yeah, leave us, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you get uh, free travel agent services. <laughs> yeah. What about predictions, guys? Um, what do you think uh, Joanna Garrity is going to do? Are they going to seek further legal action? Uh, I think they're going to let it lie. I think yeah. they kind of have to part- participate in the Northeast Alliance appeal anyway. So I think I think they're going to shift their focus to that and figure out what the heck they're going to do. Um, f- figure out how they can charge Rohan four hundred thousand points for 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 mint. They're going to be too busy focusing on that to uh, to fight this this merger being blocked. At least that, at least unless a um, unless the administration changes. If the administration changes in right. November 2024, then I think all bets are off as to the merger environment. Though right. at that point, they may you know, have gone so far past spirit that they choose to move on to something else. Hmm. Rohan? Well, I personally would like to see her say something. Um, mm-hmm. I think that in the next coming weeks, it's going to be really critical. Um, but I also think that Ted Christie from spirit needs to speak up and say something and rally his people. Um, you know, for all the, you know, craft that spirit airlines gets, there's actually some really fantastic people working there. They have some very nice crews. Their planes are, their planes are clean. They've gotten their act together. Uh, 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 I flew, I flew in December and it was great. Spirit. (laughs) Let's go in Spirit before. Like I, I don't think Spirit is the the you know hell on earth or anything like that. But isn't that um, calling their planes clean? Is... They're cleaner. They're cleaner than Air India. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, yeah, sorry. My my bad. They're 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 cleaner than Air Zimbabwe. My apo- my apologies. Sorry. <laughs> I, I I was really slandering um <clears throat> slandering spirit there. But what's gonna happen with JetBlue? I mean, yeah, certainly the CEO needs to say something. I think rallying up I mean I think they filed for chapter eleven. I don't I don't think there's a way for them to avoid it. Not chapter seven. So, to be fair, they, they might not chapter seven, chapter eleven, right? They're gonna okay. restructure. They have to restructure. Um, you know. If uh, if Joanna is listening to this podcast for for some godforsaken reason, like hey, add first class, do what I do do what I said, and I think you'll 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 have a shot. Um, but yeah, like my guess is they they file for chapter eleven. Oh, this is uh, they kind of go back. Right? To, this is JetBlue, and I think yeah. Spirit will 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 liquidate. Is my guess. Yeah, I'm gonna throw it out there. Uh, you know, bold boldness is the is the name of the game here. So yeah, bold prediction. Spirit Airlines will file for chapter seven and liquidate, and it's it'll 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 it's planes and gates and pilots. Will all be reassigned or acquired by other carriers? Mm. Uh, JetBlue will file for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, um, and the judge will dance on their graves. That's my prediction. Dang, brutal! And Rohan will go to bed tonight dreaming of MILF. Yes, yes. Many That's... islands, low fares, to be specific. Yeah, precise. Um, all right. I mean, and you know, check out the oil on our beaches. You know, my. <laughs> Oh God, I'm I'm flashing back to like 2012 um, in the best possible way. Hearing this, so all right, I I, I think we've beat a dead horse enough. Um, you know, share the podcast with a friend. Where else will you get discussion of oil up beaches and and milfs and Chapter Seven bankruptcy? Um, and uh, except except for the Airways podcast, only so, here. This yeah here. Or there's yeah, like Ben Ben Baldanza will give you like you know John Ostrower and the Air Current and professional analysis, um, but we we give you milf and and, and, and oh, oily, oily beaches, many unbelievably fantastic fares. Yes, yes. And then there's the Anthony Weiner scandal. There's the okay. man. All right, okay. we're we're we're, All right. we're we're gonna cut off there because I feel like this is gonna become an an NC seventeen rated podcast if we give Rohan another few yeah. minutes to, to keep going here. So, thank you everyone for listening to us um, right at this late hour, uh, but certainly an interesting uh, topic. We'll see what's gonna happen in the next few months with Spirit and JetBlue. So thank you again. Please subscribe to the Airways podcast at airwaysmagazine.substat.com. And yeah, be sure to catch us on the next episode of the Airways podcast. Bye, guys.